year. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed their break. And, uh, and we are kicking off uh, several new things this week and, and next week. And Tanner will come at the end of the service and share a little bit about youth. But uh, uh, something for us is uh, next week, we start this 1045 Bible study. Uh, and it's uh, going something to run through uh, up until Easter. And it's about uh, Israel's journey to the promised land and all the struggles they faced and all these incredible stories about how, how God was faithful even when they weren't. And so if you're interested in that, we'd love for you to join us at 930 and then go to the uh, 1045 class. And I know that means we may just kill the 1045 if everybody goes to, the, you know, to that class, but, but that class is going to be so worth it. And so I want to encourage you, you're already up anyway, so you know, come an hour early and, uh, and then go to that class and you'll still get to the restaurants before anybody else, okay? Uh, so, so there's that. And then today, uh, we start a new series on the book of Philippians called True Confidence. And we have these uh, notebooks, these journals that, that are around. Uh, there's, if the first service took them, there's some on the table here. There's some in the media. So just go ahead. If you want one, you can just kind of go and get uh, grab one. You're not going to bother me. I can't see past the first four rows anyway. So, um, but uh, be sure to grab one. We want to encourage you uh, to take notes over these next 13 or 14 weeks and uh, in order to uh, <coughs> kind of record what God is teaching you, what God is showing you as we go through uh, these different, uh, uh, these different uh, verses, these different uh, passages. And also want to encourage you to take some notes during the week, to, to read Philippians during the week. I want to encourage you to read Philippians 1, you know, two, three, four times this week and circle the different characteristics, the different names of God that you see and maybe keep a running list on one of these pages of all the, num all the uh, names or characteristics. And then kind of what I do is I'll make my list and say, okay, God, I really need you to be this for me. And then I'll remember how he's been that for me in the past. And then say, God, would you help me be this for somebody today? Uh, so I can be a representation of you. So, so that's what these journals, and you may not be a note taker, and if you're not, I wanna encourage you to take notes, uh, or you can take notes on your phone if you'd like to keep them with you all the time, uh, or don't take notes. I mean, no, there's no pressure, okay? You, you, you do you. So, um, but, uh, so today we do kick off this series about this New Testament book, Philippians, called True Confidence, and confidence is defined um, as in, in, the, in the dictionary as, uh, as this, that the feeling, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something, okay, or a firm trust. So it's this feeling or belief that we can rely on someone or something. So what is that that gives us confidence in our lives? I mean, is it, is it a job? Is it a title? Is it a position? Is it an income? Is it a GPA? Is it a 401k? Uh, is, it, uh, is it a group of friends or a particular friend or a relationship that gives you confidence? Uh, is, it, uh, is it a skill? Uh, you know, is it your health? Is it your appearance? What, what is it that gives us confidence? And when you really think about the things that we put, that we put a trust in that gives us self-confidence, um, it's all fleeting. It's all temporary at best. I mean, every single thing that we just listed, it will come to an end eventually. And there's only one thing that is going to give us true confidence that, is, that goes beyond our circumstances, and that's Jesus. And that's what we're going to discover over the next 13, 14 weeks as we go through this uh, book that Paul writes <coughs> in Philippians. So these first 11 verses, 
They're, uh, they're really just an introduction uh, to, the, to the whole uh, book. But what we see in these 11 verses is, uh, is Paul's love that he has, this incredible love that he has for this certain group of people. And, and somehow, some way, um, Paul's love for, for these people intensely grows through, through the years. That he loves them more as he's penning this, uh, this letter than when he was with them, his love for, for, for these people grow. And so the natural question for us, I think, is how can you and I, how can our love grow for other people? How can our love towards other people grow? Because, I mean, let's just be honest with each other. Can we just be honest for a moment as we kick off this new year? Um, I mean, if we're being honest, we'd have to admit that there are some people in our lives that are just hard to love, right? I mean, they're just hard to love. So uh, I, hope, I hope that lady wasn't talking about her husband. Uh, but, uh, but no, there's some, pe- there's, there's some people that are just difficult to love. I, I mean, we just spent, uh, maybe you just spent uh, some of the holidays uh, with some people that uh, you don't normally see, but they're just difficult to love. And thank God we have 11 months to recover from that family dinner, you know? And there's just people, it just takes every ounce of patience that we have to love them. It takes every ounce of skill set, relational skill set that we have to love them. And when we get around them, they're just so draining and exhausting emotionally and physically. It's just, you know, it's a good thing that we have some time to, you know, between Christmas and New Year's just to recover from that family Christmas dinner, right? There's just people that are hard to love. And, and then, you know, it, you know, but God tells us, the scriptures tell us that we are to love God with all of our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and our strength, and and just as important, equally as, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, and then Jesus comes along and he takes that one step further and he says that not just love the people who are easy to love, but we're also to love our enemies. And if we've been around church for any amount of time, we we've maybe have heard that and we know that, but the real question is, how on earth do we do that in a practical sense? And that's what Paul's gonna show us. He gives us three insights about how our love for other people can grow. Let me give you three things that we're gonna highlight this morning, and you can write these down, and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But we need to partner in the gospel, we need to recognize the process, and we need to pray for each other. So partner in the gospel, recognize the process and pray for each other. So if you have your Bibles, and I do wanna encourage you to bring your Bibles on Sunday morning so you can take your notes, jot your notes, circle, underline. Uh, turn to the New Testament book of Philippians. So, so find that book. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, we're gonna put it up on the screen or you can pull it up on your phone. But Philippians chapter one, as we talk about this incredible introduction that Paul gives us to this book. So let's talk about partnering in the gospel. That we, Paul says that we need to partner with others in the gospel. Now, a little background to Philippians, okay? Uh, Paul is writing this in, uh, in 62 AD and uh, he's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. And uh, most likely he's been chained to a, you know, Roman guard as he's trying to write this, you know, he's like, hey buddy, can I get a little bit more slack on that chain here? You know, as he's trying to write that and uh, he's writing this letter to the church. He's writing this letter to 
uh, believers in Philippi, thanking them for this gift that they sent to him, okay? Now, uh, Philippi was a military city, uh, and it got its name from Alexander the Great's father, King Philip, okay? So that's where it gets its name. So verse one, Paul's writing. He's like, need some some room here. Uh, He said, Paul and Timothy, servants to Christ Jesus, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just stop right there. And this isn't really part of the notes. This is just kind of for free. Um, key word here. It says, get ready to read along. To all God's holy people. What's that next word? In. That's a huge word. It's, it's all to all God's holy people in what? Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't write to God's holy people that are performing well. To all God's holy people who are, you know, like overly active religiously. He doesn't write that. He doesn't write that, hey, you know, because you're so busy doing church, because you're, you know, of all your religious accomplishments or because of your good behavior, you're holy. No, Paul says to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying to us is that the moment you and I put our faith in Christ, not only do we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, not only are our sins forgiven, not only are we adopted, become adopted sons or daughters of the one true king, but we are also made holy in Christ that when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Christ that makes us holy. So we are made holy by Jesus because he came and lived the life we can't live and died the death that we deserve. We do not perform our way into holy. It's given to us. It's a status that's given to us because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was holy and he applies his holiness to us, okay? So all that for free. So he says, um, Paul, Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. I'd underline that, highlight that, remember that, at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now, now all of this starts in Acts chapter 16. And about two or three years ago, we, we did this whole year-long series of Acts. Remember that? We did this whole year-long series in Acts. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you remember the sermon uh, on Acts chapter 16, right? You remember that? You took your notes. You, you just kind of committed it to memory. Uh, well, I don't remember Acts chapter 16 sermon, and I'm the one who preached it. So let me just review it for my, for my, for my benefit. So it all starts in Acts chapter 16. And Paul had this really simple church planning strategy. And what Paul would do is he would go into different towns And because Paul was Jewish and he was an expert in the Old Testament, he had the first five books memorized. He was a Pharisee. He he was an expert in the law. He would find the Jewish temple and uh, he would go there because that's where all the Jewish people hung out. And then he would start teaching them the scriptures, start unpacking the scriptures. And as he would teach them, he would teach all the Old Testament and he would weave Jesus into the story, into this storyline, okay? And, uh, and point them to Jesus and they would say, oh my gosh, how do you know all this? And Paul would say, because I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter nine. Remember that sermon? Yeah, me neither. Uh, but Acts chapter nine, he would say, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then they would put their faith in Jesus. 
And, and so, but the problem with Philippi is that there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi because there wasn't enough Jewish people in Philippi to build a, a synagogue. So what did Paul do? Well, Paul and his buddy Silas, on, the, on Sabbath morning, they went down to the river to pray. And down at the river, there was, a, there was these small group of women having a Bible study. And as they're having a Bible study, one of them's name is Lydia. And Lydia was this very successful businesswoman. She, she owned this, um, this, this high-end clothing designer company, okay? And uh, he strikes up this conversation with Lydia. And Lydia, she's a believer in the God of the Old Testament. She just hadn't heard about Jesus yet. And so they start talking about Jesus. And Lydia, right there, puts her faith in Jesus. And so we have our very first convert in Philippi, okay? That takes us to our second convert. Our second convert in Philippi was this slave girl who was demon-possessed, who had the ability to tell fortunes. And her owners would, would use her to make money telling fortunes. And, and this girl followed uh, Paul and Silas everywhere they went. And, and, and they would, she would follow them, and she would yell at the top of her lungs, these two men are servants of the Most High God, and they, they're telling you how to be saved. These two men are servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you how to be saved. And this goes on and on and on. And Paul, he's, he, you know, he's trying to do some teaching. He's trying to do some preaching. He says, hey, guys, there I was. I was on the road to Damascus, and this bright light knocked me off my horse, and I was blinded, and I heard this booming voice. These two men are the servants of the Most High God telling you how to be saved. And Paul just gets frustrated. And he's like, would you be quiet? And he says, in the name of Jesus, get out. And these demons leave her. Well, that, that, that's really good for the girl. And she puts her faith in Jesus. So now we have two converts in, in Philippi. And it's good news for the girl, but bad news for Paul and Silas because this ticks off the owners of this girl. And, they, and, and, and these owners, they have uh, Paul and Silas arrested. And uh, so the Paul and Silas, they're arrested and they're put into the dungeon where they're tortured and they're beaten. And that night about midnight, they're, uh, they're praising God. They're singing hymns. They're, they're worshiping. And this earthquake, it shakes the foundation of the prison. And the doors of the prison you know, just fall off. And all the prisoners run out. They've been set free. And, and uh, this Roman soldier who was in charge of, uh, of guarding Paul and Silas assumed that Paul and Silas had also escaped. And because he was a good Roman soldier, he didn't want to go through the court-martial and be dishonorably discharged. And so he was about to take his own life and fall on his sword. And uh, Paul shouts out, he says, stop, do not hurt yourself. We're still here. And this Roman soldier is amazed that these two guys they had every chance to leave, but they didn't. And so he takes them to his own house. And he, he tends to their wounds and he gives them a hot meal. And Paul and Silas tell him and his family about Jesus. And they put their faith in Jesus and they're baptized right then and there. And, 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 and so we've got three converts in, in, you know, in his family. So, and I know it doesn't really sound like a church. It sounds more like the opening of a joke, right? You have a successful businesswoman, uh, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman soldier go into a bar. But only it's not the opening of a joke. It's the start of the church in Philippi. And Paul, he's writing this letter to them 10 years after hanging out with them and helping them launch, launch a church. And he says, grace 
and peace. Just circle those two words. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. See, Paul is intentionally remembering them with joy and joy comes from a partnership. And if we want our love for people to grow, if we want to love someone more, we need to partner with them in the gospel. And if that friend or that family member or that person is a Christian, then we partner with them in advancing the gospel. If that person is not a Christian, then we partner with God and, and, and pray that, that God would call that person to, themself, to himself and, and they would come to know and understand the gospel. So, but that, that's, our, that's our purpose for being a church. That's our purpose is to come together and declare and display the freeing power of the gospel. And, and, and so if, if you're wanting to partner with, maybe it's a coworker, or, or, or maybe it's a classmate and maybe your partnership would be, hey, let's, let's meet before work once a week or once every other week and let's just begin to pray for our coworkers by name. And let's kind of figure out, let's go and ask them and say, hey, we're praying uh, for our office and is there anything in 2024 you'd like for us to be praying about? And yeah, they may think you're weird or whatever, but some of them may have some real concerns and you have the opportunity to pray for them. And maybe it's a classmate and you say, hey, let's, let's gather three or four or five of us and let's, let's pray during our lunchtime for our classmates and our teachers and our faculty and let's pray that revival breaks out over our, over our campus. Or, or, or maybe a couple of families from your, from your kids' club, you know, volleyball or soccer or baseball team, you know, you know we get together and start praying and, uh, for, for the families on your, on your kids' team and start to strategize how can we introduce these other people, our coworkers, these families, our classmates to the gospel? How can, maybe we can plan a party and we all get together or, or maybe we can have the ball team spend the night on a Saturday night and bring them to church or, 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 or maybe we can you know, go and get all of our teams signed up for a camp and we go to the coach and we say, hey, don't schedule a tournament over this week because we're not going to be here. We'll be in Colorado and we're praying that these, this, our teammates will hear the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. So don't do it. But we, we start to pray and strategize of how we, can, how we can, and we do that together because we're not a partner with one another in the gospel that the others would know Jesus and his community with a cause. It's a, it's a group with a goal. And Paul here remembers these three unlikely friends and his partnership in the gospel with them, and he's moved to thank God for them. So the first thing that, that, that causes our love for others to grow is we partner in the gospel with other people. Our second point is that Paul says, if we want our love to grow for other people, we need to recognize that, that the process, that we need to recognize that we are all in a process. Look at verses six through eight. So Paul says, being confident of this. So now we're going to figure out what Paul is confident in. Being confident in this, that, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you notice that, that what Paul said, that, that, that what he's confident in has nothing to do about Paul? 
It has nothing to do with how he has memorized word for word the first five books of the Bible. He doesn't have confidence in, in, his, in his zeal for, uh, for the scripture. He doesn't have confidence in his religious performance. His confidence is, is in the work of God and in the work of God alone. And he says, I'm confident of this, that, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all, all of you share in God's grace with me. That God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, we, we, we get that word grace a second time. And that, that, that's big when it comes to, to loving people more. Because the second way that, that we grow in love towards people is we see that they are in a process. We, every person that we lay eyes on, we see them that they are in a process. But the other side of that coin is, if we're our love for them is gonna grow, we also have to see that we are also in a process. That every single one of us in this room, we are in a process that God started something in us and he is at work to bring it to completion. Now, God can see you and I. He sees people as finished, as complete, because he's God and he's not bound by time. But you and I, unfortunately, we are bound by time. But we're not God. But too many times, you and I, we declare this final statement over people's life. And we'll say things about people and we'll say, oh, you know what? He will never change. Oh, that's just the way she is. You know, that person, they are the most egotistical, selfish narcissist I've ever been around. I can't stand him. He, he'll, he'll never change. And we just declare this final statement over people's lives. And when we think that people won't change, it's not us having a small view of, of them. It's us having a small view of God. It's not us seeing them as small. It's us seeing God as small. It's us seeing God's power as small. It's us seeing God's, God's work as small. But here, Paul says, hey, I'm confident that God's gonna do this work. I'm confident that God is gonna complete this work because God does all the saving. He does all the changing. He does all the transforming. That God has the power to save and transform and, and change anybody he chooses. And so he can, he can change that person because he can change us. I mean, let, let me just kind of ask you a rhetorical question. How many of you, when you put your faith in Jesus, that at that moment, all of your sins, all of your struggles, all of your ha bad habits just went away like that? Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, everything you struggle with just whew, went away. Yeah. No is the answer to that question. That we, we still have this skin on. We, we still struggle. 
We're still being transformed and changed. But let's kind of fast forward a little bit to present day that over the last three months or three years or 30 years, whenever it was, when you first became a, a follower of Jesus to now, how many of you would say, hey, there's some things that I don't struggle with anymore. Anybody would say that? Yeah, you know what that is? That's the process. That's God's power at work in you. That's God using you, using the scripture that you're reading, using the preaching that you're hearing, using the worship that we're doing together and lifting up God. That's us obeying the word of God. And that's a process. And he's changing us from the inside out. And that's one thing that we can be confident in. And as our love grows for one another, we need to remember that we are in a process. Now, one more thought before we move on to the last and final point. We need to be careful what we think when we think about other people. We need to be careful what we think about when we think about other people because if we always think negative thoughts towards somebody, what's gonna happen? Our hatred and bitterness is going to grow towards that person. It, 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 it's just human nature. It's the human heart. If, if we only think negative thoughts about a person, uh, uh, that hatred and that bitterness is going to take root in our hearts. I, I mean, notice Paul is writing this. Did, did, did you see in these first 11 verses, did, did Paul ever mention how annoying that slave girl was? Did he ever mention that? No. He could have. He could have said, hey, man, I remember you and how annoying you were. I could get an edge, you know, word in edgewise. And you were just so annoying. You were so hard to love. It took all the energy out of me. He doesn't say that. Anywhere in these 11 verses, did, did we read that, that Paul wrote, oh, hey, Roman soldier, I remember the beating that you gave me. I, I still have the scars. You want, you want to see them? He, he doesn't think about any of that. And because he chooses not to, his love for these people grow to the point that he, he thanks God every time he remembers them. What is that about? Well, Paul knows this. Watch, listen, don't miss this. Paul knows that the memories we feed will determine the emotions we feel. The memories that you and I feed will be the emotions, will determine the emotions that we feel towards others. So Paul, he focuses on them as people and that they're in a process and his love grows for them. And lastly, we need to pray, pray for each other. Verses nine through 11. And this is my prayer. This is my prayer for you. Paul says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure, underline that word, we're gonna come back to that, and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And that's a powerful prayer. I'm so glad Paul just didn't write praying hands emoji. Because this, this is a prayer right here. 
that he prays. He says right out of the gate, he says, my prayer for you is that your love for Christ will grow. My prayer for you is that your love for each other will grow. My prayer for you is that your love for your community and those who don't know Christ will grow. My prayer for you is that you will grow in knowledge and depth of insight as you pull the scriptures out, as you read the scriptures, as you attend, as you're gathered reading this letter, as you read the scriptures, that your your depth and insight and, and wisdom would grow. I pray that you will be able to discern because you're studying the scriptures, because you're obeying God when he reveals things to you. I pray that you will be able to discern what's best for you, that you'll be able to discern what the difference between good, better, and best. I pray that you'll have wisdom to say no to some good things so you can say yes to some God things. I'm praying that you'll know what's best and you can live your life the way God wants you, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when circumstances aren't going your way and that you would live it out and you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's my prayer. That's what he's praying for you and I. That's his prayer right there for Gospel City Church. That's his prayer for us. Man, that, that, that stirs our spirit, that stirs our hearts in a way that little praying hands emoji can't do. And he uses this word pure. And this Greek word, it literally means Sun-tested, S-U-N, not S-O-N. Sun-tested, and it's a pottery term. See, back in this first century, everything, centered, I mean, pottery was used for everything. I mean, it, it was used to transport and contain water. It was used to hold your wine. It was used to... Uh, to cook with, to store food. It was used to, you know, save your leftovers you put in the fridge that you only throw out three weeks later. I mean, pottery was used for everything. And, and, and sometimes what would happen is the, the people who were making the pottery, they would heat it up too fast. They'd be too, too much in a hurry. And when they heated it up too fast, little cracks would form in the pottery. And, and so what the merchants would do is they would, they would take wax and they would put it over those cracks and they would repaint the pottery and sell it. But the problem with that is when you use this pottery over the stove or you popped it in the microwave, that when you heated this, this, the, the, the pottery, the wax would melt and the cracks would reappear and then your contents in the pot and the container would spill out, making the pottery worthless. And so as, as a consumer, you would go down to market to buy pottery. And what you would do is you would lift it up into the sun and you would examine it to make sure that there weren't any cracks, to make sure there wasn't any wax that had been painted over, to make sure that it would, you, would, you would sun test it. In other words, you would, you would test it to see if it's the real deal. And that's what Paul is praying for us, is that we would be the real deal, that our confidence would be in Christ. 
and how that impacts you and I is when somebody sends us a text message and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to the doctor today. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not good. And that, that we wouldn't just, you know, send a praying hands emoji, but that we would say, hey, I'm praying that you would be the real deal. I'm praying that God would heal you and raise you up as a miracle, as the power of God at work to all the medical community. But, but more than that, I'm praying that, that, that people would see how you walk through this with such peace and joy that, that, that they would want to know what, what's the difference with you than the patient next door and you would be able to communicate with them the power of the gospel. That's my prayer for you. That I'm praying that through this, through this time of unemployment that, that, that God would that you would know God as provider like you've never known him as provider, that you would realize he's been provider all along. And because I'm not just gonna be the kind of person that just lifts this prayer up, I also wanna be the kind of person, the kind of brother or sister in Christ that partners with God. I'm gonna bring by some extra cash this afternoon and I wanna give it to you as a gift of my love for you because I wanna be part of God's answer to this prayer that I'm praying for you you what if we as a church begin to pray like that I am so thankful for our prayer team they pray like that so if you have a prayer request I want to encourage you to give it to them because they're not just praying on the day that they get get it they're praying and they're praying and they're following up and you know two or three weeks later they're like hey whatever you know, somebody's saying, hey, does anybody have an update on Cindy? And I'm like, who is Cindy? And I'm going through all the text, you know, the text thread. And they're like, oh yeah, I talked to Cindy earlier in the week. This prayer request was from three weeks ago. And they're saying, she's doing fine now. And she thanks the, you know, for the prayers and, and, and praise God. Or we need to keep praying for Cindy. I'm like, who is Cindy? Oh yeah, that was it. We pray, we need to pray for one another. As our love for, and as we do, our love for one another will grow. And as the band comes, true confidence. Where are we going to put our confidence? Is it going to be something that the world offers that's temporary at best? Are we going to put our confidence? in the power of God and then asking God to do what only God can do and to fill our hearts with peace and joy and grace and to see others as they are in their process and to see ourselves in the process what could happen what healing could take place in our hearts? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much.